You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast. This is Energy Insiders and my name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach, ITK analyst and Renew Economy uh, contributor. David, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Charles, and I trust you are well, and I trust all of our listeners are well, and I trust our special guest uh, all the way from London is also well. Yes, indeed. Look, um, we'd like to welcome uh, Laurent Seguelin, the Managing Director of Megawatt X. I think, Laurent, uh, welcome on board. I think you're the first French banker based in London to join our webcast. Thank you for having me, and uh, hello to Australia. I'm very pleased to be on that podcast. Well, look, thanks indeed for joining us. Look, um, Megawatt X is um, what well, it's it, it said to be the world's largest renewable energy platform. As I understand it, it basically is a platform where people who want to sell renewable energy projects, large scale wind and solar, are able to meet up and um, contact with people who want to buy such projects. Can you tell me, well, maybe maybe correct me if, if, if that's wrong, so tell me in your own words what exactly it is and, and, and why you've done it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So after, a, I would say, a quite long career in um, asset management and investment banking around renewable energy, uh, in the, about five years ago, I had just left an investment bank uh, called Nomura, and uh, so I was talking to several uh, your friends and clients in the insurance uh, industry, and they were about to commit big amounts of money in wind and solar. And basically, they told me that the whole market was very murky, very hard to read, and so a platform would be welcome. So that's how, in a nutshell, this uh, this platform was created. So tell me, how many um, megawatts of deals have you got? I think, um, I think I've seen a figure of 8,000 megawatts of deals, but um, that may or may not be right. And what sort, of, what sort of observations can you tell me? I mean, you do have an office in Sydney, I understand. What can you tell me about the sort of the stronger markets or how Australia fits into the, um, the global scenario? Okay, so uh, so far we have listed uh, since inception 125 deals. So it goes from uh, 5 megawatt to 700, I think was the biggest. We have about half-half solar and wind. We had, in, I would say, one-third operational and two-third under development. Uh, generally, when we list a deal, uh, either we do it as an advisor or we do it uh, in collaboration with an advisor who is looking for more investment because we have a, a, a member's base of more than, than 2,000 uh, institutions. Now, uh, you work well in my experience when you have a global reach, which we, which we have, but also a local presence. And we are very fortunate to work in Australia with Mark Schneider, who is, I don't know if you know him, but he's a, he's, he's a remarkable uh, uh, banker and a, and a personal friend. So we are very happy to collaborate with him for the Australian market. Yes, I, I, 
Yes, I do know Mark um, Schneider. He's actually been involved with what's called Megawatt Capital. He used to be at um, Investec, I think, and has been heavily involved in the ownership of the Hornsdale Power Reserve and the Hornsdale Wind Farm. So is Megawatt Capital part of Megawatt Axel, or is that just a coincidence in the name? It's pure coincidence. Oh, okay. So tell me a little bit about what, what you sort of learnt from these um, f- from these deals. I mean, you're buying wind and solar farms or sort of creating a marketplace for them. We know that wind and solar are coming down in price as far as cost of technology technology, what's that doing to the um, to the asset prices? Okay, so yes, I mean, since, uh, the, the, I mean, my first uh, wind deal was back in 2001 with what was uh, at the time uh, EDF. Uh, it was not, it was not even EDF uh, Energy Nouvelle, it was the, the before EDF Energy Nouvelle. So basically, I really seen price going down, I seen technology getting better. And uh, solar, I started seeing solar in about 10 years ago, and now I start to see storage. So basically, when you are in uh, in a market and you know talking to buyers and sellers, you just see the trends going in and out. You see countries popping in and then crushing down, and so sometimes you see the same developers jumping from one country to the other. So bizarrely, I entered the Australian market on the back of several developers I knew in the English market back uh, in 2013, 2014, where there was a very favorable regime and something like 13 gig of solar was installed over three years and it just collapsed all of a sudden. And a lot of those uh, investors uh, are now in Australia um, I would say uh, the, the piggybacky on the experience to build in the UK, same for banks. You see that uh, European banks are proposing longer tenure for, for loans because they have the experience from the, from the European market. So, so Laurent, you can, you can tell me, who, who are the buyers of these assets in general? Are they, um, uh, is there any sort of thing that defines them particularly? Are they mostly pension funds of one description or another? And has the process of the trading the assets in the secondary market uh, become more familiar to everyone so that people know about the prices and are more readily able to, I guess, uh, finance them more aggressively? So uh, there are different stages where transactions are being done. So first you have the the stage of co-development and then you're going to have you know, uh, you will have some incubators, uh, but then to start moving to the place where it's ready to build, you will have a certain amount of operators, but it's not that big, and it's going to be, it really is going to depend on the market. Then, of course, you will sell uh, when it's fully ready to build. You'll have an, another type of investors are going to jump in. Then when it's going to move into a COD, which means starting to pay operational, you, then that's how you, you, you can see the, the, the pension funds coming in. And generally, after five or six years, a certain number of investors like to flip their, uh, their capital around or there's a refinancing. Now, wind and solar are very, very different uh, in the sense that, um, I mean, I always make the analogy uh, uh, wind, uh, you ju- you're buying a Mercedes, so you know after uh, one million kilometer you might have another one million kilometer. But uh, solar, you're buying an iPhone, so I don't know how long your iPhone one is gonna sustain you. Um, so basically, depending on the amount of risk, 
uh, that's where you will see different type of equity investors. And of course, the debt, uh, the debt comes mostly when the the uh, the assets are operational. And of course, it's the amount of debt you're going to be able to, to put on any assets is, is, is really linked to the, the quality of the PPA, uh, the, the, the length of the PPA, uh, how strong the subsidy, if any, regime is. And uh, so I would say for the best, uh, uh, the, or the, the, the strongest uh, PPA regimes, you can go up to 75-80% uh, leverage. So it's really, uh, it's a fixed income play more than an equity play once the, the assets are operational. That's, that's right. And um, I'd like to talk more about that, but I think I'll ask instead, um, where, uh, what, are you, what are the hot areas around the world and the hot products at the moment, <laughs> if there is such a thing? And, and what, what are the people you're talking to talking about? If, you know, what's, the, what's, the, what's the top of the agenda in, in, in London as far as renewables go? Okay, so uh, the talk, I would say what, what investors are talking right now is really going merchant uh, as, 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 as much as possible. Uh, you know, the incentive regimes, uh, I don't like to talk about subsidies because, you know, uh, CO2 is not really taxed. So it's fair that uh, clean sources get a, a, a green boost. Uh, but uh, let's face it, uh, it, it has cost uh, quite a lot. And there is this sense from policymakers that, you know, they've done their job, that the price has gone down. So now it's up to the market to, you know, to, to, to balance itself. And frankly, below 50 euro, 50 dollar, uh, on a, on a long-term basis, that's it's the cheapest source of, of power. I mean, there's no way you can develop uh, any fossil fuel uh, at that level. So it's really merchant. It's really for investors to understand uh, how to deal with the merchant risk um, when they used to have very comfortable regimes. So that's the number one. The number two is storage. How how is storage? How can you make money around storage? How is it going to integrate in the in the grid? Um, and and a lot of people are scratching their heads. And frankly, something I could tell you now is not going to be valid in six months' time. Yes, and 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 uh, do you find that the financiers, I mean, are comfortable? We talked about seventy-five percent debt for you know best quality PPAs, but. Uh, when people are going merchant, I guess not just in Australia, but also in in Europe and in Asia and in the USA, surely the uh, getting the finance for that must be must be more difficult. When you go merchant, you don't go like you know fully merchant and you know uh, sell on a on a spot basis. I mean, going merchant basically means talking to a counterparty and getting a five-year edge. So, but five-year edge on on a power market. And in that case, you can probably uh, you can probably get a uh, I would say a 50% leverage. Uh, you can sign longer PPA, but you leave a lot of value on the table. So 
Yeah, you can have 10-year PPA, but they're going to be signed at 30% below uh, future prices. So there's there's the delicate balance between, you know, what's the tenure of my PPA and, and how much money should I leave on the table? And it's really the case in Australia because we are, we are I mean, some of my clients are negotiating PPAs right now. The, the prices uh, for 222... Uh, at a certain level, but the prices we see for uh, longer PP are much lower. So it's it's a very delicate exercise. I'm just wondering if you can give us any more sort of colour about the um, about the sort of prices that you're seeing in the PPA market now. Um, we've been told, um, not in great detail, that PPAs for for wind have been below sixty dollars a megawatt hour, and that includes a bundled price, including the renewable energy certificates, and possibly as low as the low fifties. We are told that solar is that, probably that's Australian Australian dollars. Australian it, dollars. That's right. Yes, and we're told that solar is is below $70 a megawatt hour. Um, without giving away any great secrets from any of your clients, are you sort of seeing things around that level um, or, or even lower? What I'm, what I'm seeing is that if uh, any buyer uh, deal, even at, at 70, they're gonna make a really good deal because in my opinion, and, and seeing that market in Australia always develop, probably only 10% of the announced, uh, so, or 20%, let's say, uh, solar plants will be developed. Uh, it requires a, a, a lot of uh, upfront investment, and I'm not sure that uh, the developers have, you know, what it takes from a financial perspective to, you know, to get those megawatts through the door. So people who anticipate that there's going to be a, you know, humongous development in, in, in Australia might be a bit disappointed, which means that if you have a good project in front of you, I'm talking to buyers, if you have a good project in front of you, uh, I mean, don't try to take too much advantage of it. You know, 70, 75, it's a good price going forward. I think there's probably... The, so, yes, so, sorry. Um, no, you go ahead. Actually, I, I was just—I um, was just wondering, actually, if you could answer at the end of just continue where you were. But just if you ask, if you just clarify what you said earlier on about the world, the, the wind energy being like the the, the Mercedes Benz and the um, and the solar being an iPhone, I didn't quite understand what you were meaning there. So I thought you might want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, very simple. I mean, uh, wind—it's mechanics. I mean, you 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 are putting a gearbox. I mean, it's 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 a very mechanical thing. So if you look at, a, and, and, and I know there have been progress, but frankly, the, 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 the progress uh, in, in, the, in wind, it's, you know, it's very incremental. It's going to be like 3% per annum. Uh, whereas solar, it's electronic. So the, 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 the quality of new product, the level of obsolescence is is in in my opinion going much faster because it's not mechanic it's it's almost electrochemical so that's what that's why i was doing that uh, analogy so so this means the secondary market uh for solar projects very much depends on having a ppa if you're a merchant player 
uh, with old generation technology, well, I suppose that it, it's a sunk cost, but it doesn't really matter. Once the panels are in, the efficiencies are not too dissimilar, so it doesn't really matter. It's the sunk cost. And, and once you, uh, in the secondary market, I don't suppose what's generation of technology makes all that difference really in the end. Lauren, I, I, if we just, I had two more questions uh, that I wanted to ask. And the first one is if we left, what is the hottest region besides Australia uh, that you're looking at? And secondly, about your business, I'm interested, is the, um, is the secondary market growing? Are you busier now than you were a year ago or two years ago? I, I would say um, yeah, things change very rapidly. So let's, let's just give you a very simple example. I had some, uh, some, some wind farm to sell in Brazil three years ago, and they were at really knocked on prices, and nobody wanted to touch them, despite the fact that in Brazil you get the trade winds, and you have a 60% load factors in, in northeastern uh, north Brazil. Nobody, everybody wanted to go to Chile, 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 Chile. Okay, so now Chile is like oversolar, and everybody you pulled into Chile lost money, and now the, the, the people who, who, who stick to their Brazilian asset are just minting money because we have a spot price above $100, and with a 60% load factor, uh, your, your production costs are $30. Uh, the U.S. was very strong, uh, but uh, with the new administration, uh, the tariffs, people are getting reluctant. And generally, because uh, people are you know, looking for the real economics and not the subsidies. If you're chasing subsidies, the chances you're going to get burnt are really important. You know, people who went in Eastern Europe, in Poland, in Romania, they had very generous subsidies and the government managed to kind of default on them. So everybody is, is, is equity negative in Romania and Poland. But if, if you go for the merchant, just saying, look, it's windy there or it's sunny there and technology is down and I'm going to produce below the, you know, below fossil fuel, you're going to be fine. So solar southern Europe, I mean, there's no point putting solar in, I mean, I see guys putting solar in Sweden. I mean, give me a break. Uh, and, 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 and wind is, uh, you know, it's uh, where it's windy. And uh, anywhere in the world you have a 40% load factor, you're going to be fine, in my opinion. So it interests me, markets are the same. Markets are always markets. You, you um, as I uh, used to say, uh, not to quite quote the Beatles, you buy sheep and sell deer. Uh, and uh, that's the trick in markets always. Hmm. Thanks very much. I've just got a couple of questions, uh, Laurent. The first one, a very quick one. You mentioned um, storage. Um, when do you expect to be sort of trading in, in, in storage assets? And do you, imagine, do you imagine that they would be standalone or as part of a, um, a package with a renewable energy um, installation? Um, so what we've seen in the two markets uh, I've, I've been dealing with, which are UK and Germany, uh, it was mostly standalone. So uh, not standalone in the sense that, you know, you have guys doing, you know, the, uh, storage and, and nothing else. But uh, it's, it's really around the grid management. This all behind the meta thing, I, I don't see it. So we, we are mostly talking with people who are energy traders, 
and they used to have their own little pickers and now they're going to they're going to have the, 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 the storage that's really interesting that transition from gas peakers to 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 storage um and, and we're seeing that in the us we're seeing that with um, competitive auctions so so presumably just very quickly you've actually done a few transactions in storage then well i missed one and i uh, uh, <laughs> you have to face the fact that when you enter it's it's no, coming it's no, coming no, no, when you enter in a transaction the the, the 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 chances of success are probably one out of four so that's fine. That's why you have a huge portfolio. Uh, but uh, yeah, in Germany, I think I'm going to close one pretty soon. Okay. Look, and I've got one final question for you. And it'd be a shame um, having a, um, a French banker on board and, and not taking the opportunity to ask what's happening in France. France, of course, is a grid with the, um, the biggest share of nuclear energy in the world. Um, you've had governments who are really quite intent on increasing the share of renewables um, probably at least to 25% and then possibly to 50%. What's the thinking happening in France now? Because I know that there are questions about the how that transition is actually put into place because of, you know, you've got this massive amount of um, nuclear. How do you shift that and allow renewables to come in and play their role in the market? And the second thing is, what's the thinking now about the extending the life of nuclear in France? Because I understand that there's been studies done which talk about the extremely high cost of even just maintaining beyond their um, their current life lifespans. Okay, so what I'm going to tell you is my personal opinion. So there is, um, uh, I mean, for two or three generations, nuclear has been almost part of the, you know, French DNA. And for two or three generations, they've delivered, you know, cheap power. And uh, so it takes a lot of time for people to realize that uh, the technology is obsolete. And uh, uh, for instance, if you look, I mean, there are 58 nuclear trenches. I mean, it's, I mean, I, we could use another podcast to explain how they come to that number of 58, but that's pretty funny, I would say. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, at the origin, they wanted 20, and they say, yeah, but if we ask, <laughs> if we ask for 20, they're going to give us eight. So let's ask for 60. So they'll give us uh, 20, and they asked for 60, and they got 60. Uh, so they build them. Oops. Their, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but they only beat 58 because the two in Brittany, uh, it just came on the back of an oil spill. So there was a very strong ecological movement. So they didn't build the last two in Brittany. But that's what they are 58. You see, that's as simple as it gets. Now, if you look at those 58. Uh, nuclear trenches, there are always 15 to 17 which are, uh, you know, not functioning. So you see... Because of maintenance yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yes. they require more and more maintenance and, 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 and so on. And, and of course, the, the EPR in Finland and, and in, uh, in Flamanville has proven really much too expensive to, to develop. So... Mm. Even if they don't say it, they know that they are at the end of this technology, and it it is obvious that they won't be able to refurbish the 58 nuclear reactor because it's it's, it's that, just too much money. So they will transition uh, willy-nilly. They will, but uh, they're not going to say it. So that's my opinion. That's good. <laughs> That, that's going to be fascinating to watch, indeed. <laughs>
Look, um, David, um, let's just, um, be, before we say thank you to, to, to Laurent for a fascinating conversation, um, let's just have a very, very quick wrap-up of the week's news in, in Australia. And there hasn't really been that much, but um, the Grattan Institute made some headlines um, this week with a report talking about the gold plating in the networks, um, estimating probably $20 billion more than was needed was spent on networks. I guess we kind of knew that. Um they're talking about that the people who still own those networks, i.e. Queensland, should write down the value. The people who just sold those networks, i.e. New South Wales, should give a rebate to the consumers who are paying too much. Um, look, I'm actually sympathetic to these things um, because I think there has been too much. And I think without some sort of write down or some sort of, you know, lowering of cost of the grid, then I'm not too sure how they survive into the future. But um, you think it's all a bit fanciful? Uh, well... You know, it makes it. I must say, I do love talking about the global market for renewables. And uh, 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 but uh, coming back to the uh, fascinating world of wires and poles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's a bit of a come down, isn't it? No, it's, no, it's no. Kind of, no, kind no, of no, we've no, just been at a French movie cinema, and then we've just gone back to watch Neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the wires and poles is its own drama. Heavens knows, I got involved in some of it myself. Uh, uh, but the the uh, the point here is that. The regulated asset bases are to an extent artificial, but you can't uh, have the New South Wales government selling them off for $20 billion or whatever, and more, I think, in total, and paying down debt, and then uh, deciding to give some of the money back directly to New South Wales taxpayers for one, two reasons. One, they've already spent the money, <laughs> and we're going to get a new public transport system out of it. And two, if they were to give a rebate or in any way implicitly say that the networks aren't worth what the network companies say they're worth, then straight away everyone else is going to be up in arms and down at the Australian Energy Regulator, uh, consumers in every state running the same thing. So I, I just don't see that in practice that's going to happen. But there is a problem that the network prices, which are for households with transmission added in, and even at the higher generation prices, about 40, 40 to 45% of the bills, uh, discounted bills, there is a problem that they're going to be very, very sticky on the way down. And I see more opportunity for the AER to just cut the returns a bit. The other problem, Giles, and we, I don't want to, it's boring to talk about really, but the, the fact is the, the sort of investment needs to change a lot. We, we have to have a lot more time of use meters. We have to have uh, investment that encourages two-way uh, flow of power. We need more investment in IT systems that enable the data uh, to be managed so that we can do local grid management. The, the whole technology in the grid is going to change and frankly that's going to require more investment over time rather than less. Fair enough. Look, we'll probably just leave it there. Other than to note that over Easter, which is coming up, the Energy Security Board will be flat out trying to come up with some high-level plan, I think they're going to call it, which may tr and, and, and try to use whatever they come up with, answering all the issues that have been raised by all the submissions to the uh, National Energy Guarantee over the last couple of weeks and try and come up with a plan and convince the COAG Energy uh, ministers to move it forward and to allow a more detailed plan to um, proceed. So, um, well, Charles, I like the way you put it last week. They'll, I'm sure they'll give it permission for more work to be done. That makes a lot of sense at the next COAG meeting in April. As you say, decision time will be COAG meeting in September when everyone will be thinking what's in it for me. Uh, you know, that's the number one horse in the race is self-interest. And we'll, they'll all be looking at that. The other thing, just staying on the international side of things, and we talked very briefly about it, gas generation, 
Uh, my bugbear, and I think everyone's bugbear in Australia over the next couple of years is going to move from what's the cost of wind and solar to what's the cost of firming up that wind and solar to make it dispatchable to supply the, you know, 60% of power that has to go to the non-household sector and, 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 you know, demand management and all the parts of it that go with that. And it's interesting, one of the technology choices is going to be gas. And then you turn around and look at California, which in a sense is facing the same problem that Australia is with coal generator in that about 11 gigawatts of gas generator generation in, in, in California is scheduled to close over the next 10 or 12 years. And they're not going to replace it with more gas. They're going to replace it with someone else. And yet they've got this massive duck curve. So so there's a case study there as well. Good stuff. At this point, I'd just like to thank our um, sponsors, Solaray Energy and Watt Watchers. And go back to you, Laurent. Look, thank you very much for a fascinating insight into um, the, the global transactions. And, and as you say, look, I could probably talk for another half an hour about the situation in France, because that sounds like it's going to be a fascinating transition. But um, obviously lots of deals happening all across the world well thank you very much for having me it was really a pleasure and i'm a i'm a listener regular listener of your podcast so it's a great honor to be with you today well thank you once again and look thank you david for joining us um we'll probably see you next week after eating all our easter chocolate and um thanks to our listeners um we'll speak to you the same time next week um please leave a review please tell everyone about it please give us your feedback and thank you very much for listening bye-bye energy insiders was brought to you by Watt watchers makers of ultra smart devices to manage electricity use and costs Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.